So Nicholas Borners of Capital Inc, I would like to welcome you to this session that I consider to be one of the top sessions of our forum today. Um, our agenda today is compact with great information on a lot of topics. We talk about capital raising, we talk about decarbonization, we talk, uh, talk about a lot of things. But three things that are particularly interesting to spot on are decarbonization, technology, and safety. And I'm honored and delighted to have with us today two uh, distinguished panelists. Uh, I'd like to welcome Carrie Trauf, who has recently, uh, she's been with Shell for a long time, but now she is the head of shipping for Shell Shipping and Trading. So welcome, Carrie. And of course, uh, Knut Orbeck Nielsen, with whom we have been working uh, so closely together. So thank you to both of you for uh, joining this session. And I will leave it to the two of you to discuss. I will uh, just say thank you very much. Thank you very much, Thank you, Nicholas. Nicholas. Yeah, as you say, it is great to be here. It's great to be taking part in London International Shipping Week and Capital Inc. And uh, it's a great pleasure to have you, Carrie, here with me. And uh, we will, you know, share a couple of reflections around uh, decarbonization and safety and whatever else you would like to talk about. So um, let us uh, get straight into the dialogue, Carrie. So um, you recently took up, as Nicholas mentioned, the role of the senior vice president of shipping and maritime at Shell, which saw you relocate from the US to London. And um, it's, you know, in the shipping environment, it's a high profile move. And um, what makes you passionate about the role? And where do you want to take the organization? Yeah, yeah, thanks, Knut. Um, certainly moving uh, in the middle of the pandemic, even though it might be towards the tail end of the pandemic, gave us quite some challenges at the end of June. Um, I've been in the seat now for six weeks, so what a perfect time for you to ask me all sorts of questions where I want to go. Admittedly, I think Nicholas just gave it away. I mean, fundamentally, uh, I'm, I'm driven with a passion for safety for the, for the safety culture that Shell has set and Shell has led, and indeed the heritage of shipping that's at the core of everything that is Shell. Um, but also around a real passion for decarbonization, a passion for leaving the earth a better place than we found it. And when I think about the impact that shipping has on the world, um, certainly positively in terms of global trade and 80% of uh, global trade moving by sea, but also the impact of our carbon emissions. I think we're at such, such an important time for the industry and I'm a technologist at heart. We may get into that. So no better time for me to be here. And then it is about the technology and the fuels and indeed how we, how we bring uh, decarbonization to life. So huge honor and privilege. I've been with Shell, as you said, for quite a number of years. Um, doing roles in Houston and in London. And indeed, I have just tipped, I think this week over to where I've lived in London more years than I've lived in Houston. So coming back to London after a few years away has really felt like coming home. Um, my background is in shipbuilding, ship design. I was a junior officer in the US Navy serving at sea. So, so bring a slightly different view and certainly a, a different American perspective to the role but a real passion for the people that I work with and who do work for us and right through the entire value chain of the industry. 
Oh, thank you very much, Kerry. That seems like you have a, a lot of, uh, say, passion that you would like <laughs> to put into life in, in your new role. And um, just to confirm, the background that you have uh, is real, right? This is the, the office background. Uh, oh, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So this is London, uh, kicking off London International Shipping Week. I, I could have taken the call from home, but we're starting a transition back into the office. So I decided to take the opportunity you may see a taxi cab or you may see some of my colleagues out for a smoke break. Isn't that great? That gives us all optimism that we can soon restart our normal lives, as it were. <laughs> um, Kerry, I would like to come back to uh, what you mentioned about, you know, the fuel landscape mm -hmm. and at least the evolving fuel landscape. And between now and 2050, what will the energy transition look like? And how will... You know, many call LNG a bridging fuel, but in your view, how long will LNG continue to play a role as a so-called bridging solution, please? Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to ask you the same question in a minute, so you can take notes and decide whether we have the same answer or a different one. But when I think from now till 2050, the key is to understand that the transition is going to happen at different paces in different places. So the fuels, the technologies customer preferences, policy incentives, restrictions, um, port infrastructure as it builds up. For the sector to decarbonize now, we need, we believe and I believe that, that we have to start with the lowest carbon fuel that's available today, whether that's LNG, biofuels, or other liquid fuels, maybe green methanol and gas while developing what becomes our 2050 net zero uh, fuel choice maybe hydrogen-based fuels. So um, when we look at it, and I will get to answering your what's the place of LNG question, but when we look at it, we really need to set that pathway as an industry um, and as a regulatory system for the clear pathway to net zero by 2050. And that allows you know, us as ship charters, us as fuel providers, many in our audience today as financiers and in the investment community, to really start to understand how to deploy and invest money moving towards that, that 2050 goal. And indeed, when the IMO does their 2023 strategy review, we're advocating to, to accelerate the ambitions to get all the way to net zero by 2050. Of course, efficiency has a huge role to play, ship design, hull forms, energy efficient technologies, that will start to close the gap to zero. That in combination with LNG, as the engines get significantly more um, uh, efficient, will also close the gap to zero. And indeed, if you imagine a world where you move from internal combustion engines to fuel cells, and I realize this is technical and I'm having my geeky nerd moment, but as you move from engines to fuel cells, you get a much more efficient solution. So even for the, for the same amount of energy burned, you get more power, so less emissions per power, if you will. Um, and then we see hydrogen, hydrogen-based fuels as that long-term future zero emission fuel. But why LNG still has a role is LNG can be used as we develop, deploy, test fuel cells today and be the transition fuel so hydrogen or a hydrogen-based fuel can be dropped in at a later time using those similar fuel cells. And you know, how long is it gonna how long is it gonna last? I don't know. I think it's a key part of the mix. 
Um, I, I described the fuel mix going out to 2020. Again, sorry, deep engineering nerd, but almost as a 3D carpet plot where your, your x-axis is time from now until 2050. Your y-axis, your, your flat plane axis going back is the different fuels. And your z-axis, the vertical, is the uptake of fuel. And what you'll see is an undulating carpet of multiple different fuels, some popping up at different times, others declining. And I think when I look at that carpet plot, when I see who's investing in what types of shipping today, I'm seeing more and more uptake of that bubble for LNG, for liquefied natural gas in the near term. And like I said, you put just a couple more technologies around it. You go to fuel cells, you use some energy efficient technologies, you optimize your operations. And today we calculate you could potentially reduce just using LNG up to 80% of greenhouse gas versus a 2008 baseline. So it's going to take all of us working together, obviously, one person designing ships or one person selling fuels or one person, one company, one entity with a port infrastructure. Each individually is good, but without all collectively, we can't get it done. But Knut, if I'm not mistaken, you've just recently put out a paper. What's DMV's view on the pathway to 2050? Yes, you're right. We, we just out, put out our maritime forecast to 2050. So this was launched uh, last week or 1st of September to be exact. And um, I must say that the interest in the industry to, to read about this was really overwhelming. So we had more than 10,000 listening in to the launch, which I think is, you know, really remarkable. So it just goes to tell, you know, the, the, the great interest there is about trying to put some sort of confidence or foresight into the future as we try to plot decisions and the right pathways going forward. Uh, but yes, I, I think I would like to uh, underline many of the things you said. Um, naturally, what is different this time around with a, a great transition is that we, we are not switching from one fuel type into another, which is common mm -hmm. for everyone. So the multitude of different fuel options, I think, will be there with us in this transition. And that is a, a new thing compared to the history, if you look back. Um, what is, um, say, uh, the role of LNG, I think, is really important because uh, what, what we see now is that the onboard technologies that we can put on the vessels are really ahead of the production of green fuels. So it means that even though we see some um, wanting to push ahead with ammonia, green ammonia or green methanol, it's just not there in the quantities, the volumes with the infrastructure that is required. And that will probably take at least well into next decade before we see that, um, say, happening in any large scale. So, and that makes it so important to start using what you termed is the best um, option that is uh, available now on, on gas as fuel. And I think that will really bring us quite a long way forward and together with, uh, you know, some of the energy efficiency measures that we can also put in place 
there is a significant potential to reduce uh, CO2 emissions. And then as we move on, you know, how long is the bridge? I think it can be very long because uh, we can also have, you know, synthetic uh, LNG and, and that there might even be one or two vessel generations that will be able to use mm -hmm. uh, this type of fuel. But I think we have to realize that it's going to be a multitude of different fuels and probably different fuel types used on board the same vessels. Sorry for taking up a bit of a, mm -hmm. a, a long uh, route, but just the key message from the maritime forecast is fuel flexibility to really think about, you know, how can you build in as much flexibility as possible? That is maybe the one key mm -hmm. message and takeaway. So, um, yeah, building on, on, on those, uh, you know, few comments, um, you know, having different fuels, new fuels, new technologies that you mentioned uh, coming into the industry. And, um, you know, this is also changing uh, the, the risk landscape of shipping. And, um, and you mentioned in your introduction that safety plays an important role for you personally, but also naturally for Shell. So uh, what role does safety have to play in the energy transition ahead? Yeah, and maybe just a quick story. Um, before coming to Shell, I was working for one of the US's big defense contractors, building, building ships for the US Navy and US Coast Guard. And while I was there, our core purpose was really very visceral and, visceral and connected to each of us, where we knew that our job every day, getting it right, was actually what would protect the women and men who went in harm's way for our country and help them get home safely. So, so that same connection, now when we're introducing new fuels, when we're designing new technologies, when we're trying to understand the impact of that on the mariner, um, safety has to be center and front of mind as we look at these trade studies, as we look at the possible solutions and really underpin everything we do. So maybe three areas um, where we see potential for improving safety uh, and they all tie back to the fuels in a way. So putting people first, supporting their well-being um, as those of us who haven't been at sea for three, four, six, nine months, uh, learned over the last 18 months, our own well-being, uh, mental well-being swings from days that we have very good days to days that are, that are not so good. And, and today there's a sunny day behind me, but if it weren't a sunny day, I would come into this call with a different perspective. And we need to think about the women and men who are at sea, who are in the same environment, the, the same closed community, the same people day in and day out and think about the challenges of their role, the, the safety that they're reflecting on for themselves, you know, trying to take care of themselves so they can get home, trying to take care of their, their colleagues on the ship, their ship family, but also us, what can we do to support them and, and what's, what's creating risks for them. So, so maybe thinking about an environment where, where people can fail safely, where, where our mariners can, can make a mistake. So thinking about the new fuels where they can make a mistake and it's not catastrophic. It's a mistake, but it's not a massive failure. So as we work on designs, as we, as we think forward, we need to think about the mariner who's, who's 
hands and legs or arms and legs are, are actually performing the duty. Of course, increasing the use of technologies, um, whether that's technologies to monitor the mariners, um, low energy Bluetooth technology so that we can, we can geofence. And I mean, this is, this is big ideas, but geofence them so that as the mariners are going into a risky area, as they're going into doing a bunkering operation, as they're going into working with a new fuel or working with a new piece of equipment, they, they just get an alert and are, are made aware. Um, and then gathering and analyzing and sharing incident data, particularly as we, we address and we introduce new technologies and new fuels, we're all going to have to learn from each other. And I guess that leads me to the third point, which is working together. It's working across the maritime industry, but again, for those of you in the financial community, it's working across your portfolios. It's helping to bring learnings from one industry, from one sector to another, and, and learning from each other. Um, and you know, ultimately, change is challenging. Change makes people nervous. Change change makes us have to think harder. So as we're introducing these new fuels, as we're introducing new energy efficient technologies or, or what from the office seems like a simple operational efficiency, better routing, understanding the implications of the, of the people who are actually sailing our vessels today. I don't know, Knut, what are you seeing? What, what improvements have you seen in your time? And where do you see us going next? Yeah, no, I think this is, uh, you are highlighting some really very important areas. And, um, you know, I've, I've been over the past 18 months talking very uh, outspokenly about the seafarers. And I think you mentioned them several times in what you just said, how important the mariners, the seafarers, um, uh, their role, the duties, and, and that, that they are on top of this changing risk landscape. And um, yeah, just to, if you take the fuels, for instance, if you, just to take one, um, one new fuel type that is very much in, in the dialogue, especially in media these days, is new. So ammonia, for instance. Mm -hmm. So we know that ammonia is, uh, the toxicity is high. Um, it also have, you know, very corrosive uh, characteristics. So naturally, this is something that uh, for a vessel to take, uh, use ammonia as a fuel, either full-time or parts of the time, it certainly needs to be taken well care of, not only by the design of the vessel, the material selection, etc., but also, as you say, when when the mariners, the seafarers move from one area of the vessel to the next, that they're entering a hazardous area, mm -hmm. that they have the right competence and training to handle this, etc. And I think this is where it all sort of uh, comes down, where technology meets the people. And that is really where we have to face up to a lot of the, the new risk challenges. And the good thing is that uh, in many ways, as we move into the rest of this decade and further on, connectivity uh, will be better. So there is, you know, a possibilities to use experts or onshore support in, in a greater extent. 
um, which it, it could be very helpful if we are using it in the right way. But that also brings a technology that we have to be mindful about because <laughs> naturally cyber is also a space where we have to you know, take all precautions and make sure that we do things in the right way to maintain cyber security. So, so I guess all in all, the, the future is going to be um, somewhat different, probably more complex for many. And, um, and it's important that we take good care of, uh, of training of seafarers uh, in all of this. It's not just about the hardware, it's also about the people side of things. So um, there's lots of things still to be done to, to maintain and improve the safety level. And then there's always the, you know, what we call the basic stuff, but that we, we need to keep uh, naturally good control of that uh, uh, with all the new stuff as well. Now, one thing that you mentioned, Carrie, was, um, you know, collaboration, which is something that I would like to dig a little bit deeper into. Um, I. I, you know, many people talk about decarbonization as a race, and um, I, I really don't like that expression. I understand it's, you know, it's something that we need to do and we should, you know, get across the, the finish line. But, you know, a race often uh, depicts winners and losers. And my view is in order to achieve the ambitions and the strategies that we as an industry and as a society have, uh, it's really all about collaborating and uh, make sure that we get across that finishing line together. And um, I'll be very curious to know, you know, in your view, what does optimal collaboration look like um, for you and, and Shell in tackling the decarbonization challenge ahead? And you mentioned also other industries. What can we learn from other sectors in, in this process? Yeah, um... Boy, if only we had 30 minutes to talk about this one thing. Uh, I also don't like to think of it as a race to 2050 or a race to net zero. Um, and I would put that in the context of we can't be in a race with other industries. And indeed, we're going to have to work together to get there. Um, you know, decarbonization requires non-traditional partnerships. And that's, that's a lot of big words there, but it's about making a marketplace for fuels. It's about, it's about a shared demand. If we look to hydrogen towards, towards the middle of this century, it's about having a hydrogen demand for power generation. It's about having a hydrogen demand for road transport and then having the hydrogen demand for shipping as well. So it's about sectors moving together, um, doing research together, doing development, whether that's fundamental first principles, government-sponsored academic research, or whether that's applied, test and trials, lab-based or, or in a real environment. Um, but I see, I see this coming together as you know, a, a competitive marketplace that'll give us that quilt, that, that quilt, if you will, of fuels, but where customers can come for decarbonization solutions or lower carbon products and solutions. And at the end of the day, it is business. So in a way, there will be winners and losers, um, but but all of it for the good. So the race is for the good and Shell intends to win and to partner with other winners. Um, if you didn't see him last year, Shell published two reports, all hands on deck, which 
went through interviews with more than 80 senior leaders right across the industry to understand the barriers and solutions to decarbonization. And then we set out a separate report, Setting Shell's Course, talking about how Shell is accelerating the change needed in the industry for the goal. We are a founding member of the Sea Cargo Charter, um, where we've committed to come together and collect emissions data across the ships we charter. But the Sea Cargo Charter is across a large segment of our industry and, and all of the partners will establish a standard reporting progress and cadence and publish this data. Um, Shell's also stepping up our engagements directly with governments. It's actually where I was earlier this morning to kick off London International Shipping Week. I was meeting with the, um, the transport minister and the secretary of state along with a number of industry partners to talk about decarbonization and Great Britain's role in the decarbonization journey in the maritime. Um, and I talked a little bit about uh, academic, academic research, um, academia, commercial partnerships. We launched the Center for Maritime Futures at the University of Southampton um, a couple of years back with a 1.5 million pound gift from Shell, which is the largest corporate gift in the university's history. And the center's about bringing together university and industry partners, not just us, but to transform the energy shipping industry to be safer, cleaner, and more efficient. So drawing on the extensive expertise in maritime research in both institutions, the center will play a vital role. So maybe I leave from this, that we're investing in decarbonization. I'm focused in the, the shipping and maritime sectoral decarbonization. Shell has organizations right across all of the hard to abate sectors and we're working in the background to bring a set of solutions forward. We're investing in the UK in this capability. We're investing globally. The future is challenging, but as always in shipping, it's exciting. And I'm privileged and humbled six weeks into this job to be part of that. And I absolutely have enjoyed the conversation as we knew would happen. 25 minutes have gone so quickly. And I think we could talk for another hour if we needed. I'm sure we could, uh, Carrie. And uh, thank you so much for having this conversation. And it was truly interesting and fascinating. And uh, I, I can only say on behalf of all the people listening in on Capital Link that we all wish you the best of uh, success. And um, we are here naturally to collaborate with you uh, in this common effort to both improve uh, greenhouse gas reduction and improve safety on the shipping side. So with that, thank you so much, Carrie, and uh, oh, yeah. back to you, Nicholas. Well, thank what you. I want to say is a tremendous thanks for a wonderful uh, discussion as expected. And thank you very, very much to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.